I personally am so glad that I grew up in the 70s before there were cell phones, before there was Facebook, before there was Twitter, before there was texting, because truth be told, when I was younger, I was not always wise about what came out of my lips. I do know what soap tastes like. For those of you that don't, it tastes just like it smells. <laughs> so I am so glad. I think it's so much harder today to kind of grow up and learn paths of wisdom with everything digitally and permanently recorded for all time. Thank you very much. I know this. I have a friend who lives in Illinois, and their son uh, had a girlfriend, and he liked her, and she liked him, and the, the, it worked out well until one day something she did or said set him off, and he just angrily texted some things back. Were they inappropriate? Yes. If he had said them, it would have been, come on, knock it off, quit. But there they were on her screen. And she, in turn, went to her parents. Mom, Dad! Showed them these texts from this horrible kid. And they went to the district attorney. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And his little keister was drug into court. Thankfully, the judge had the wisdom to go, Okay, you're probably not going to rob a bank or blow up a building, (laughs) but you're going to do community service, and you're going to learn, think before you speak. And he had to do community service for like three months for this simple texting stuff. Texting, blurting stuff out before you think about it can get you in trouble. And along those lines, I thought it would be nice to visit some tweets. So if I could get my tweets up on the big screen, some tweets that have landed people in jail, tweets that have caused people to lose their jobs, tweets, 140 characters or less. You would think it would be harmless. I love my my son the other day, John says to me, there's something and he told me I need to get on Twitter for XYZ and he goes, you know, dad, none of us are on Facebook anymore. It's because it's all you old people are on there. And as soon as you old people take over Twitter, we're going to go someplace else. Okay, so let's, let's look at the first one. So we'll, if Barack Obama is our president, why is he getting involved with Russia? Scary. Notice it was retweeted 1,600 times. Not because getting involved with Russia is scary, <laughs> but because she seems to be clueless about who our president is. Let's go to the, let's go to the next one. I hate being in eighth grade and my boyfriend's leaving for college. I know he won't cheat, though. (laughs) Some of you parents are like, what? Okay, for those of you that are in eighth grade, let's cover why this is bad. (laughs) Bad thing number one, the fact that you have a boyfriend in college. Bad thing number two, yes, he will cheat. (laughs) Okay, so next tweet. She got a new Visa debit card, and she wants to know, why is everybody asking what the number on the back of my card is? (laughs) Yeah. Woo! 
retweeted 753 times. <laughs> okay? These are actual tweets, by the way. I mean, none of this is made up. None of this is, Let's go to the next one. I'm a hit President Obama with that Lehigh Oswald swag. Now, uh, this young man is Dante Sims, who tweeted this. He was 21 years old. He tweeted this the day before the Democratic Convention in 2012. For those of you that don't know, Lee Harvey Oswald is the man who killed John F. Kennedy. Well, of course, when this got retweeted, etc., the Secret Service picked up on this, which is why his friend Ann says, you're literally in jail right now. Ah! <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> okay, let's go to the next one. I, I love this one because I just love his role in Aladdin. He was Jafar. He was Iago. Yeah, Jafar was his, you know, okay. So I just split up with my girlfriend, but the Japanese say, there'll be another one floating by any minute now. Ah, he did this after the tsunami. He worked for Aflac. He was the duck. Aflac. That was Godfrey. That was uh, Gilbert Godfrey. Godfrey. But after he tweeted this, Aflac came to him and said, you're fired. And they hired another duck. <laughs> so the duck you hear on Aflac now is a new duck. One who doesn't tweet about tsunamis. Okay, let's go to the next one. This, this one, she also got fired. Sad to hear the passing of in this long name. Believe it or not, this long name of this person is somebody is a terrorist who had killed like 260 Americans. And so this woman working on an American network that broadcasts in America was like, I'm so sad that he's gone. And then the American network was like, we're so sad you need to pack up and leave your office today. <laughs> you know, we just got like 5 million angry emails and tweets. <laughs> okay, so in the, the last one, we'll end on a light note. You know, Will Smith kind of looks like that guy from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> You know he does. He is so right. That is weird. So if I could get my bottom line up for today, if I, if I could convince you of anything today, it's really simple. Smart people, smart people think before they speak. Smart people think before they speak. And the right words at the right time can move mountains. And, and they'll get it up eventually. But that's, that's bottom line for today. Right words, smart people think before they speak, and the right words at the right time can move mountains. All right? So if you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to the book of Proverbs. And I just set mine down somewhere. There it is. Proverbs chapter 15. And we're going to call out three different Proverbs that speak to speech. All right? And the first is Proverbs 15. 28, and if they'll put that verse up there, 1528. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. So the key thing here is thinks carefully. Smart people think before they speak. And this is really, really important because it, when it comes to speech, there's no rewind button. You can't, 
it, and it doesn't go back in your mouth. Once it's out, it's out. And so uh, there are people that are in the category of blurters. These are they're in life. There are blurters and non-blurters. I'm a non-blurter, so I you know cards on the table. But in my family are some blurters, so I'm you know, and blurters are if they think it, it it's boom, it's gone. Like as soon as it comes into their head, it's out their mouth. They just blurt. Oh, I love that. I hate that. Ooh, what are you wearing? You know, just boom, out it comes. And then they're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. You know, but it's always after the fact. And blur, blurters are everywhere. But here's the thing: blurting with social media, and Twitter, and texting. You know. It's now like digitalized forever. So, you know, so blurting. Peter, if, if you're a blurter, I don't want you to feel condemned today. Peter, the apostle Peter, like upon this rock I will build this church, Peter, he was a blurter. Let's be honest. If you look at the gospel passages, you know, Jesus lays out, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die. Never, Lord. And then he gets rebuked, you know, Satan, get behind me. Then there's the other time Jesus is like, oh, yeah, and y'all are going to desert me. Oh, not me. I won't do that. Blurting, you know, think before you speak, Peter. Peter was a blurter, so you're in good company. But this passage, the heart of the godly thinks carefully. It's wise to think before you speak. We as Americans actually have an example of this in our own history. George Washington, you know, the guy that's like the father of the country, he's on, why is he on a $1 bill? You ever thought about that? You know, like Ben Franklin, they all, everybody gets better bills than poor George. But $1 bill. So George Washington in the Constitutional Convention sat there. Yeah, cricket. He sat there and they're debating and they're doing things and he, he said virtually nothing. And then there was this moment and he had an opinion and all of a sudden everybody was like, oh. <gasps> you know, it turned the whole room. He spoke up in, in a youth group at the risk of singling out Mr. Potter. In youth group, we have our own George Washington. It's Brett Potter. He doesn't, he, you know, he'll be silent for a long time. But when he speaks up, everybody in youth group is like, yes, sir. You know, and so the, in, in Proverbs, there's actually another proverb that puts it this way. It basically says this. Even if you're an idiot, if you'll just keep your mouth shut, people will mistakenly think you're wise. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the proverb basically says. Even if you're an idiot, if you'll just shut up and keep quiet, everybody will be like, man, they're smart. Man, they're wise. You know, just, so silence covers a multitude of sins. All right? So, <laughs> okay? And for those of us that are parents, you know, you've got little yippers, you know, mommy, take me, mommy, do this, daddy, da 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 And your temptation is to kind of verbalize, you know, okay, we will. I've learned this the hard way so many times. Anytime, if you say to a kid, we might, that's the same thing as take it to the bank. This is going to happen. I promise here. Where do I sign? <laughs> so I've learned that when my kids ask, the very first thing out of my mouth is, no, it's not going to happen. Then if it, you know, if, <laughs> if it happens, it's like a, it's a pleasant surprise. <laughs> but I don't want to get into the thing of promising things and then they don't happen. It's bad. It's just okay. So think before you speak. So, so the first thing about why speech is that it's thoughtful. Why speech is thoughtful. Smart people are thoughtful about their speech. Let's look at another proverb, and that's Proverbs, same chapter, chapter 15, verse 23. And they'll put that verse up there. Everyone enjoys 
a fitting reply. It's wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. Boy, is that the truth. Another translation puts it this way, an apt word. An apt word. Um, comedians know this. They'll, they'll tell one big long story. Jerry Seinfeld, have you ever noticed? And he goes on and on and on and then... And, that, and then he launches. It's the pause. There's always a, there's timing. Comedy, comedy involves timing. And there is a right time for certain words, and there's a right time for other words. One of the things I've learned as a Jesus follower is that all of the time, those of us who are Jesus followers, we get prompted. That's a word that American and Western Christians use to describe the work of the Spirit in them. A prompting, a leading, a nudging. They'll feel prompted. You know, I should talk to Dave. I should, say, I should say thank you to um, Vonnie. I should um, call Chris. You know, there's these prompts. And then what happens is we Americans, because we're so busy, we just ignore them. But nine times out of ten, if we would just act on that prompt and say thank you, hey, I really appreciated that. Oh, you know, I've just, I just want you to know I was thinking of you today. You will be surprised how many times that person will in response go, gosh, I so needed to hear that. God uses us to encourage one another in that way. And the right word at the right time. So, uh, you know, this happens. Now, the, the, there's another part to that, and that's the part of correction. If you know somebody or you really care about somebody who's in a bad place or about to ma- make a bad decision, the right thing at the right time might come into play. But there's some things if you're going to, caution a friend or a family member or somebody that you really care about there's some things to keep in mind are they mature are they able to receive it are you mature are you able to give it uh is there trust in the relationship have you earned the right to say this thing and then have you either sought permission or has it been given for you to offer this correction a lot of times, if you're going to offer the right word at the right time to, to caution somebody, let's say it's a friend and they're dating somebody they shouldn't be dating, and you, you're like, and you see it, you see the cliff, and you see the carnage, right? And you, you just, so if they've given you, you know, if they've at any point said, hey, I, want, I don't want to be stupid again, you know about David or you know about Lucy, I, you know, if they've given you permission, then your weight-in is, hey, I want to, remember when you said and you told me, I just, I want you to know, I think the world of you, da-da-da-da, here's what I see. I just want to put it, make sure you're seeing this on your radar. And so, you know, that's another way. So to encourage and then to correct the right word at the right time is, is gold, okay? So that's another, that's another aspect. So wise, smart people know that, that wise speech is thoughtful, it's timely. It's thoughtful, it's timely. And then last, Proverbs 12, verse 19. And I'll go there in my Bible. Truthful words stand the test of time, but lies are soon exposed. Wise people know that wise speech is thoughtful, timely, and true. It's true. Speaking the truth matters. Truth lasts because it's rooted in God's character, and God is truth with a capital T. Here's what I found. There are two types of untruths that characterize our American life together. Um, one is this uh, uh, false testimony thing that was, these are both things that were prohibited in the Old Testament, right? 
where we'll say something about someone that just isn't true, but we're saying it because we're grumpy, we're mad, any kind of number of reasons. And the other is gossip. And this is the one that we Southerners love. We just, and we in the South, the way we handle gossip is it's a prayer request. I need y'all to pray for my sister. Really? Yeah. (laughs) And then out it comes. Or did you hear? There's nothing good ever comes after, did you hear? (laughs) This Remember the other week where I talked about nothing good comes after you say, hey, watch this. That's always, that always ends badly. Did you hear? That usually, that's nothing good ever comes after that said either, okay? So, but gossip, it, gossip's a problem. Did you know that in the New Testament, like the big sexual sins that we all get grumpy about in the church, in those lists of sins that are like, you know, you are an enemy of God, you know, Paul in Corinthians and some other places puts, spells it out. Did you know that gossip is included in those lists? It is. It's the one, like, non-sex, non-big deal. You know, because gossip can rip apart a church. It can rip apart a family. It can just, it's so destructive. Um, And so, those are three things about speech. Three things about speech. Wise people know that it's thoughtful, it's timely, and it's true. And I hope that those things are things that will characterize your speech. In light of these passages... I want to ask some questions, right? So we, I always say, I try to drive toward application, but I also try to ask, we're try, we try to be a place that asks the right question at the right time. So here's some questions to consider. Question number one, am I a blurter? I mean, you got to ask yourself. Remember, there's the George Washingtons, and then there's the blurters. Am, am I a George or am I a blurter? What's my natural tendency? Um, and so what do I need to do you know, and God will help you. He will. God will help you. And if you've got a husband or a wife or a good friend, they can also, you can say to them, you know what? I'm a blurter. And they'll go, oh, good, they know. <laughs> That's the first thing they'll do is, oh, good, you figured it out. You know, we didn't want to have to have an intervention, and now we don't. It's awesome. Everybody wins. <laughs> okay? So, and they can help you with this. It really is wise. Here's, I, I want to talk to you young people for a minute. As a middle-aged man, I find this ironic. Young people, when you are angry, you will fire away on a text or whatnot because you're angry about something. But if you like somebody, you will compose that text and then you will look at it. And then you will delete it. And then you will compose another one. And then you will delete it. And then you will look at it. You will do that 500 times before you hit send because you like them and you think they might like you. But if you're angry, boom, you just fire away. Isn't that weird? Am I the only one that looks at that and goes, what? Okay, so a bit of counsel would be this. If you find that you're angry, like, turn off your phone. <laughs> Don't go near a computer. This is, you know, because here's a general rule when it comes to that, and I've talked about this before at Generations. If you're angry or you're hurt by somebody, it's always best to say that in person or over a phone conversation, never with words on paper or in an email. That always never works. It never works well. But if you're proud of someone and you want to say thank you, then it's always appropriate to write that down, put that in writing or drop it in the mailbox or in an email because then they can come back to the words and go, that's right, I'm awesome. Because <laughs> everybody needs to hear that more, okay? So first question, am I a blurter? 
Am I a blurter? Second question, do, uh, do I act on the prompts of the Holy Spirit? When I, when I have this sense, oh, you know, I haven't seen Mitch. I need, you know, I should, do you act on those prompts? Or do they just go out of your head as soon as you go out of the doors or you go on to the next thing? Take a moment when you have those nudges, when you feel those prompts, act on them. Call somebody. I can't tell you how many times it's happened where if I send somebody a note or if I call, you know, if I'm, I feel prompted to call somebody, I, it's inevitable. Oh, I so needed to hear that. I'm so glad you called. It's not a coincidence. It's God working in the context of the body, using the body to build, you know, for us to build up one another and encourage one another. So that's the, that's the question to ask. Do I act when prompted by the Holy Spirit? And then the last question is this. Review your Facebook feed. You know, take a moment to go through your Facebook feed. Is there a lot of ripping of other people? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a negative Nelly. I admit that. I'm a glass half empty. My natural tendency is to, this is wrong, that's broken, this stinks, you stink, this is all, we're all going to die, the plane is crashing, okay? I'm Eeyore by default. Here's what I found in life. No one wants to hang around Eeyore. <laughs> right? No, they don't. So uh, I have learned over the years. And so, for, for, for instance, for me, one of the things that I decided long ago is like when it comes to other pastors and churches, anytime there's like a scandal or something negative or whatnot, I say nothing. I post nothing. And it's a promise to myself that I'm not going to be overly negative Nelly. So I go, see, see, you know, no, nobody needs that. So I, I, but review your Facebook feed, you know, are there things, are there, are, you know, do you light up a teacher or whatnot? Does that happen on a regular basis? Maybe that needs to change. And, and along those lines, I want to address two issues that I think have come up of late in America, right? Issue number one is I've encountered a lot of Americans and I've encountered some people in the chamber that do this thing where, and and I've had two of them in particular in the last six months where they've ripped their church and their pastor. And I've seen it in their feed that I get. And when I've confronted them about it, I've said, you know, so have you talked to your pastor about it? Oh, no, they're not on, you know, they're not friends. They're not, nobody at church, right? Their thinking is, this was anonymous. In this room, with the collective wisdom that we have, can we acknowledge that it's 2014? There is nothing anonymous anymore. If you think you have a secret blog or Twitter account that nobody knows, you're, you're smoking marijuana. <laughs> okay? So, and I've had these conversations with them where I've been like, you know, biblically, you need to tell your church how you feel about it. And, you know, the, one of them was at Southern Acres. The other was at a, a Parker Baptist Church. And I was like, really? Come on. You know, and so, you know, here's, let's agree among ourselves that we won't roll that way. If when we have problems with people, we're just going to speak up and we're going to address it. Um, and, and we call that dealing direct. But that's a problem that's happening in America a lot, is that people think that there's some measure of an, an anonymity because, oh, they're not on my Twitter feed. You know, they won't know, so I'm just going to rip this soccer team or this coach or this teacher or whatnot. And there's no anonymousness. The second thing that I've noticed, and this rots my socks off, Fortunately, I've not been the victim of this, so I can have righteous indignation for other pastors and other people. There is, among evangelical Christians in America, a growing number of bloggers who feel uh, uh, they have uh, a platform and a right to criticize the church, criticize Christians, and criticize pastors. 
and they have big blogs with lots of followers, and they make the, you know, the church shouldn't do this, and the pastors are wrong when they do that, and, they're, and they speak at conferences. They are making money. They are living off their criticism of the church. And many of these people have no skin in the game. All they do is criticize from their blogs. They haven't started a church. They don't lead anything. And a couple of them of late, it's been discovered, they don't even go anymore to a church anywhere. And yet they're criticizing it. And I look at that and I go, you've got nothing to say. You have no right to say anything you're saying. It's like the people are like, I hate Congress. Well, did you vote? No. It's pointless. What do you want to say to them? Then shut up. (laughs) I don't want to listen to it. You could have voted and you didn't. So you don't get a right to have an opinion. (laughs) Okay? So those are two things I would love to address. Let me ask this question. What if in your marriage relationship your speech was characterized by thoughtfulness, timeliness, and truth? What if in your family life the speech that was uttered was characterized on the whole by thoughtfulness, timeliness, and truth? What would the... Imagine your work. Come on, some of the people that you work with. Wouldn't it be awesome if speech was characterized by thoughtfulness, timeliness, and truth? It would be so refreshing, wouldn't it? It would revolutionize things. See, God knows what he's up to when he puts this stuff down on papyrus and eventually on thin paper that we can buy from China. I mean, God knows what he's, God knows what he's doing, all right? Here's what I know about Jesus. A couple of things, and I want to read this one passage from Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you this, you will give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. So you and I, words do have power. We've talked about this in other settings. But here's why we need to be thoughtful and timely and true about our speech. Because there is going to come a day when, when God's going to say, hey, remember? You know, so there's an accountability thing built in. And the, the cool thing is that the person that we follow, the person we're trying to imitate, Jesus, Jesus never spoke an unguarded, self-indulgent word. He never did. Jesus never opened his lips in the wrong way. Jesus never spoke when silence was better. Jesus was thoughtful, timely, and true. And it's a better way to live, and we can imitate him through the power of his spirit. This is what they said of Jesus. No one has ever spoke like this man. They said that in John 7. 